echo the good morning to you all. Um, glad you could make it out today. Um, I'll, I want to mention to the newcomers uh, in particular, I, I know it's like going to a stranger's house. Yes, you are welcome, really. Like uh, my wife and I have done this for many years, uh, actually been a few years because of COVID and all of that. Um, but we would love to have you come. Uh, we've got room. We'll just eat some burgers and hang out inside. I think it's supposed to rain all day. <laughs> um, but the weather, uh, despite the weather, we'll, uh, we'll have fun hanging out and we'll uh, maybe some games will break out. Who knows? Uh, so uh, today is our 12th anniversary. If you have been part of COA, this is our 12th anniversary. It is, uh, yeah, like it's a big deal. Um, so when I, uh, when I was preparing to move to Boston in the fall of 2008 to, to plant, we planted in August, uh, September 2010, um, I, the uh, one network we were partnering with had had a 90% failure rate of church plants in the previous 10 years. Um, so <laughs> I was like, God, really? I'm, I'm not sure our, uh, our connection is good here. Um, you're calling me to do what? Um, and so my family moved up here. Uh, but fortunately, God, God was doing something, and uh, we were able to launch with about 45 people on a uh, Sunday morning at, um, in, in September 2010 at Driscoll Elementary School, which is a little less than a mile from here up in Washington Square. If, you, if you're new to the city, it's kind of up Beacon Street. Uh, and we, we met there and we met in a 1970s style gym, not because it was cool and retro, but because that was the gym. Uh, <laughs> we had to put out floor covers, dra- chairs, uh, stage, drapes, lights, sound, kids space. Uh, and that's a, that's a picture from a few months in or so, uh, but if about 45 people launched and God just really uh, blessed the church over, over the few, next few years. We, we grew, we multiplied, congreg- uh, multiplied um, community groups around the city, despite having a transience rate of around 15 or 20% every year. Some of you were around those days. You just remember, it was like, hello, when are you leaving? Um, like You'd meet someone and they're like, oh, I'm here for a year. I'm here for a year. Uh, I'm leaving next, month, next week. Uh, so that happened every summer to us. And yet, despite that, God helped us to continue to grow uh, during that time, multiplied literally dozens of community groups around the area. And then God also allowed us to be able to uh, partner uh, in the community in some strategic ways. Uh, we partnered early on with the Parks Department to do free movie nights at, right outside of the school in Washington Square. And I remember those times, uh, remember we showed Frozen uh, a few of you may have been there that night. It was insane. The little kids stood up and started singing and they were louder than the speakers and the sound system singing. It was, it was beautiful. It was like 600 uh, people, just neighbors who came out, sat on the grass, watched a movie together. We wanted to cre- help create community uh, in Brookline for people who don't normally like sit together or know each other. Um, we, we partnered with the Parks Department over the years in a lot of different ways to host movie nights. Uh, but we also have stepped in and helped. That has opened doors to work with the police department. We've sponsored and helped uh, co-sponsor a couple of events with them. Uh, and then behind the scenes, we've partnered also with the Brookline Housing Authority, which is the local uh, subsidized uh, housing in Brookline. If you don't know, Brookline is generally pretty well off, um, but there is government housing here. And we've been able to step in and partner with them and their Steps to Success program for the children. Uh, some of you have partnered with their ESL program. Uh, and we also have have um, uh, helped them, uh, served with them along the way. That's where actually uh, the Brookline Housing is who we're doing the movie night for on the 16th. They just said, hey, can you guys come do a movie night? Come hang out as well. Meet our residents, meet the people who live here. Because oftentimes these two groups in Brookline don't meet. 
They don't hang out. And so this is a great opportunity for us as neighbors to just go and meet our neighbors and um, practice hospitality and uh, meet them. We also have had uh, gloriously seen God's, um, we've seen about 140 people get baptized over the years and we sent out 165 people. Now look around this room. We sent out 165 people to help plant seven churches over the, the life of City on the Hill, including uh, the last three City on the Hill congregations, City on the Hill Somerville, uh, City on the Hill Brighton, and City on the Hill Forest Hills. Uh, so God has like, and believe me, that's not because we like are just unbelievably awesome and so overflowing with people. We're just sending people out. You are a generous church. You saw the need for neighborhood churches around the city. And so we, we were, God, we, I felt like we just partnered with God. We met him as he brought the people and the opportunities, the planter and the uh, space to launch. Um, then, well, and we also developed international partnerships in Austria, uh, Tanzania, China, and Nepal. Uh, so God has like given us some incredible favor and opportunities to serve. Then COVID hit. <laughs> And if you were here during COVID, uh, we met here March, I think, 8th of 2020. Uh, and we were uh, asked to not come back. And we did not get back into this space for 18 months, if you're new. We were out of, we did not have anywhere to worship regularly, consistently on Sunday mornings uh, for 18 months. So we got back in here one year ago. Um, and I totally understand during COVID, people moved away. I, I understand, especially some of our young singles, uh, you don't want to live in a be one bedroom uh, apartment, uh, work remotely in that one bedroom apartment and pay $12,000 a month for it, right? Uh, especially when you can go home to mom and dad and, and uh, live there. So we had a lot of our younger uh, single folks move, move home. Uh, so our church was like resetting. When we started one year ago this week in this spot, it was like a relaunch. Now, we had an awesome core of people who loved each other, a deep community. We had people who put down roots, roots, bought homes, have like permanent jobs, not like that starter job, but like jobs that actually might keep for a long time. Um, and so God allowed us, to, uh, but we were tired, right? Everybody was tired, weirdly tired after COVID, <laughs> right? Like you're like, I had a lot of extra time. I was at home, but I'm tired. Um, and so we started meeting again together last year. And, and again, God has been faithful to help us to grow um, and to multiply. I think we're starting three new groups, uh, four, including the new Dakota CG right now. And so in many ways, we're just really getting back to what it means to be uh, a church plant, to be a church in the city. And while we want to celebrate what God's done looking back, and that's a huge thing to remember, to remember these milestones, remembers the ways that uh, the relationships, the, the, the people's lives that were impacted. Me personally, I, I mean, it's changed my life to pastor this church. Um, in so many ways, and it's been a joy, and, and, but we can't live off of where we were. We've got to think about where we are and where God is leading us to be. And so um, a few weeks ago, we started a little series, just a three-week series leading up to Genesis on, on marks of the church that sort of spill over into the community. And I knew this last week was going to uh, be, serve two purposes. It was going to be the end of the little short series. Um, first week was Walking by the Spirit. Right, the fruits of the fruit of the spirit spill over to other people, and then last week, welcoming people like Jesus that spills over to other people, and today it is displaying Jesus, the light of Jesus to the world, and this is our passage that the name of our church is based on. It's Matthew five fourteen through sixteen, and I'll, I'll uh, read in just a moment, but I want to encourage you to. Go ahead and read there, or you can follow along on the screen. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 is just in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. If you're not aware, that's Jesus' like most famous sermon. 
uh, Matthew 5 through 7. And he's teaching, he's on the Sea of Galilee and he's teaching his people. Um, basically, uh, he would be like up on a hill and most of the time the teachers actually sat, the rabbi sat and the people stood. Um, so um, we're gonna try that today. So you're all gonna stand. I'm gonna grab the stool and sit down. Um, <laughs> be the shortest sermon ever or uh, like, I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> so we're not gonna do that. But that's what Jesus did that was common in that culture. Um, and so Jesus said to, uh, said to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus is talking about the church here. He's talking about his people and not just city on a hill, but every gospel believing church in the city. So the, our name is city on a hill, but, and, and there are three other city on a hill congregations, but literally every gospel believing church in the city is meant to be a city on a hill. And what he's talking about is this, the church having an impact outside of the church, an impact on the larger culture uh, around it. Now, culture is a term that gets thrown around a lot. And we don't stop and actually think about what it is, what the, what, what the cult, what culture is, uh, because it's the air we breathe. <laughs> you know, it's, it's what we, uh, the, if we're fish, it's the water we swim in. But culture can be defined this way. The knowledge, beliefs, behaviors, arts, laws, customs, capabilities, and habits of a particular nation, people, or other social group. The Latin root of the word co- uh, culture is colere, meaning to plow or to till. Culture was used to denote, in that world, uh, was used to denote the cultivation, care, and tending of plants or animals. In a religious sense, the word cultus is where we get our word cult from, and it had a very strong connotation of reverence, uh, to revere, venerate, or to worship. So culture, if you stop and think about it, culture, uh, one philosopher says, culture is religion externalized. Culture is religion externalized. You think, because, and you might be new, but you, most of us would think, well, Boston's not religious. It sure is. There is a lot of worship going on, a lot of veneration. Worship is to declare the worth of something. And there is a lot of worship in our city. We worship education. Some of the most beautiful building and well-resourced organizations in our city are, are, are universities, Right? Um, businesses, corporations build beautiful, humongous buildings. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of worship that goes on there. Um, money uh, is valued. Uh, individual uh, money, what uh, a person can buy or success they can reach. Achievement, the idea of, of uh, reaching a certain point of power, of influence, making a name for yourself is worshiped. Pleasure is worship, the owning of nice things to bring pleasure to yourself, the, the, the travel, the, the trips, the places you go to, to bring pleasure to yourself. People spend their time, their money, their resources on these things. Tell me what that is. If you spend your time, your money, and your resources for something at the center of your life, that's called worship. And the culture, our culture has worship. And what, what, Paul, uh, what uh, Jesus is calling us to do is to, to uh, be light in a culture that doesn't worship God. Be light in a culture that doesn't see the glory of who Jesus is. 
This time, this culture we find ourselves in is also not, uh, the flip side of the beautiful part of our culture is the ugly underbelly of it, right? Think about behind all these beautiful universities are people in massive debt to go there. Uh, or people who are literally killing themselves, sacrificing their families in order to uh, work at these universities and to do stuff. Behind a lot of these corporations are, are, is greed, right? Behind a lot of people's achievement and success is a lot of, pe- a lot of people in their wake. What happens in, to the people in the city who can't reach these things? What about the people who can't get the education, who can't get the resources, who can't work for one of the big corporations? There's brokenness, right? There's economic, racial, social injustice in the city. Just within a mile of this spot, there's, there's people that are contemplating suicide today, maybe even right at this very moment. This city has a darkness to it. Don't be fooled by the shiny buildings. There is a darkness behind it. And, and what Christ is calling his church to do is to be a light into that world, to say there's a different story than the one you're living There's a different way of living than the way that you're living. And this is the light that shines into the darkness. And the goal, he says here, is that people would ultimately see this light to see Jesus and glorify God the Father. So what I want us to see in this passage today is uh, three points. The city's light is Jesus, the city's light is a community, and the city's light is for others. So let's talk through these. The city's light is for Jesus. This text says the church is the light of the world, right? He says, he looks at his followers and says, you are the light of the world. If you know the Bible at all, you know that in the gospel of John says, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, is this a contradiction? Was Jesus confused today? Like, oh man, I can't remember. Is it you or me? Is it you or me? <laughs> no, there has to be a way that these reconcile. And if you take them into the context of the rest of scripture, it's very clear what happens? You see, the Bible uh, has a huge theme of light from the very beginning of Genesis, which we'll get to very soon. Uh, it says, uh, and God said, what? Let there be light. And he spoke light into darkness. It literally says there was a darkness and he spoke light into existence. And then all the way at the end of the book of Revelation, it says when there's a new heavens and new earth and God's people are there before him, with him, it says there's no need for the sun anymore. Why? Because God is the light that we live by. So there's a metaphor. If you read scripture, there's, it's, it's maybe the, one of the most consistent metaphors through all of scripture is light and darkness. Um, and Jesus' ministry in particular carries this. Um, when he says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, he is contrasting it and saying there is darkness. Now, we don't get this the same way that Jesus' followers would have. Um, we live in a city, and there's this thing called light pollution. You might read up on this. We're basically ruining our sleep patterns, our circadian rhythms, uh, all of that we're, by, by light. Even the light from your alarm clock, they say like affects your sleep patterns and your ability to sleep. So that's why they say, by the way, darken your room as dark as you possibly can. Um, Because we, for a long time, human beings did not have light at night, did we? Um, And so just imagine in this culture, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was teaching, uh, was a huge sea. And imagine it in the middle of the night, it was dark, right? 
There were no streetlights, there were no cars traveling between places, but as you were down on the sea and there were hills and mountains kind of out from the sea, you would look up and you would see a town or a village or a city and it would be lit up and there would be no other light. So you could imagine that people would see that um, and if you were alone or you were, didn't know where you were or needed help, that city would be a beacon of light, of hope, right? Oh, I know where to go. I, I can, can go there. This is what Jesus is calling to his church to, de- to do. He says, because I am the light, every church that follows me and walks with me is a light in their community, a light where I've planted them. And I'm going to use a, an analogy. I'm going to try not to uh, break anything, a break while I'm doing it, but most of you recognize what that is. <laughs> Hopefully, if you can't from here, it's a light bulb. Um, and, and we all know the story of Edison, and the truth is Edison didn't actually invent the light bulb. He's just the first one that patented it and, uh, and, and made the first one that actually lasted for more than three seconds, um, which turns out light bulbs need to last more than three seconds to be useful. Uh, so he kept studying. He had thousands of mistakes in the process and finally settled in on a carbon uh, filament in a, in a glass vacuum bulb. Uh, and this delayed the filament from burning out. Finally, a few decades later, GE figured out tungsten. Tungsten uh, was the best uh, substance for that filament because it, it had a, such a high heat um, melt ratio or temperature. Now, if you look at this bulb, it isn't a lot to look at, right? I mean, truth is, this is actually a LED bulb. So, but it's an Edison bulb, ironically, right? You know, that's what they call these. I didn't know what they were called, but they're called Edison bulbs. These these uh, old ones, and it's because I guess you can see inside of it, but. You know, a bulb is not much to look at. And if you actually, on, an, on the old bulbs, if you looked at the filament, sometimes you had to like look really close. You ever look, some of you are old enough, you remember like trying to figure out if a bulb was burned out or whether the light had gone bad, right? So you held, the, you held it up to the light. You're like looking for the filament. It's so tiny. Um, but that little filament, it's not much to look at. And this bulb isn't much to look at. It cannot produce light on its own, can it? It has no power. And the light, it doesn't produce light for itself. The bulb does not exist for itself. Not only does the bulb have to be in the right power source to produce the light, uh, the light is not something for the bulb, right? And so the analogy here that I, that I believe that I want to I build out or for us to understand is that um, Jesus is the light. And what he does is he comes in and creates that filament in us. As a, as a, when he comes in as the light shining on our souls, it doesn't always feel great, right? That first time the light shines in, um, it's like that you're sitting in the dentist chair and he, they flip that big light on and it's aimed in your face, right, right on your eyes right away. In the first moment, you're like, ah, you know, uh, and, and they're trying to get that light on so they can jab sharp, sharp objects in your mouth while you're blinded. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but they turn it on, but it's painful for a moment, right? And, but, but the dentist is for you. They didn't turn that light on to, to, to make you angry or to blind you. They turned the light on so that they could do their work. And that's what the light of Christ does. It comes into our life and we can allow it to shine on the brokenness, the cavities, right? I'm going to use this analogy a little more. The, the, the cavities in our heart, the spiritual brokenness in our heart, the dark, it shines light into the darkness of our own heart. And we can then experience the, the being set free like we just uh, sang a few moments ago. Um, there's a freedom that comes in stepping into the light and experiencing that light. 
He's not there to make us feel bad. He's not there to just show us our sin and and load on the guilt. He's there to bring us into the light so that we can live in it. And when he does that, he creates this little filament in our own lives. And when we are connected with him, we are walking with him, we are living with him, there is a light that shines through every Christian. But that light is Jesus. Listen to what uh, he's, uh, 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we walk in the light, we live in the light, the light shines through us. It's not your gifting, it's not your intelligence, it's not your physical capabilities, it is actually little to do with you, right? Think about how the light bulb, man, I'm so glorious, right? I'm just, I'm just amazing, look how I'm shining, right? <laughs> it didn't make itself, it's not powering itself, but it can be pretty glorious when it's on a dark night, can it? And that's what Christ does in us. So the city's light is Christ. But not only is he want us to see that, the city's light is a community. That's the second point I want us to see here. He says, you are the light of the world. This is not you are the lights of the world. This is you, plural. He's speaking about a people. And I'll be honest, this takes a little pressure off of us, doesn't it? That I'm individually supposed to be the light of the world. Anybody want to carry that weight? No, only one individual carried that weight as he lived in this world, Jesus, right? But you and I, as a community now, begin to live that out. That's why he described it as a city. You see, Jesus didn't die for a bunch of individuals. He died for a people. He died for a community. He died for a city, for a people who live with him and live together. And I, I don't know if you're, if you're new, I say this occasionally, but I, I just want to remind you, Jesus didn't die for a Sunday, so you could go to a Sunday worship gathering. Jesus died to bring you into a family. Jesus died to make you part of his people. And you've got to live and do life with people to actually experience that. The city on the hill is a community very different from any other community. I mean, you can look around the room and think, well, everybody just kind of came for the same reason today. Um, But people come together in the city for lots of different reasons. They come together around education. They come together around work. They come together around hobbies or interests, right? But, But you don't get this community of people who were brought together by someone else. And in doing that, it, it creates a community, a diverse community that really shouldn't exist. I mean, the, the truth is the church is the most diverse global movement of humanity the world has ever seen. Now, I'm not saying every church is healthy. Every church is reflecting this. Of course not. Have you read the letters that Paul wrote to the New Testament churches? They were all jacked up. And we are not perfect either. I, I feel like we're sometimes like toddlers. We're just, you know, we kind of got a little excitement. We're wandering around. We're bumping into stuff. And we're drawing on the wall with markers. Like, like we, you know, but, we're, but, but we're, we're walking. We're doing what we're made to do. That's what the church is called to be. It's not a hobby. It's not a cause. It's a people. And when I planted the church, I kind of knew this. I, I knew, I looked at the city And I knew that what Boston actually needed, one of the reasons it needed a new church was because it needed a community of people. 
as I looked at uh, study, was studying millennials, and of course Gen Z were like two then, uh, but, but looking at the generations and realizing how much urban life splits us apart. Urban life silos us out with people we just have things in common with. Urban life makes us lonely. Urban life separates us. But what Jesus's church does is brings people together and connects them in ways that uh, they never could on their own. And yes, it's hard. And yes, we mess up. And yes, we hurt each other. But the beauty is we take the grace, the light of grace that we have received and we bend that out to each other. And what happens when a community is doing that over weeks and months and years, there's, a, there's something that happens. There's something beautiful that happens. And I can't tell you how many people uh, I've heard over the years, people who've um, not Christians or never really had much experience with church, uh, they, they, they visit a community group. They come with one of their friends to their community group and they hang out and they go, you guys are kind of weird. You like really talk to each other. Like it's not all about, you know, how are the socks doing right now or what do you do? What'd you do last weekend? That's fine. That's important. But you actually... You actually care for each other. You actually, have you, I remember uh, one person who came to my group thought we'd been together for five years. We'd been together less than six months. There were, God was doing something. And, and it's not, we're like all sitting around like going, okay, let's grow together. Let's grow together. <laughs> it is the light that does it. As I'm walking in the light and you're walking in the light, and we begin to walk together in that Christ turns up the light. And he creates a new people. I love 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Again, the the imagery of light here, listen to this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christ doesn't just bring a bunch of individuals in. He brings a people together. And what's crazy is, you th- I mean, you think your, your extended family's crazy. We all got those people, right, in our extended family. I mean, <laughs> this is a crazy family, like, like crazy. But we're a forever family too, which is like the crazy is going to go long on this one, right? <laughs> I mean, we're, we've got some different people in the family. and That's okay. Like the beauty of it is like God is going to shape us together. When you don't pick, see, that's the thing about, you can kind of pick your church, but you can't pick the people you go to church with. You can't be like, well, let's trade that one to another church. We'll see what the, you know, <laughs> that one's moving away soon. Um, no, you just, once you commit to a church, you're like, these are my people. No matter who they are, no matter who the pastor is, Right. This weird sense of humor or shaved head or whatever. Um, like you seriously, like you get to be a part of this mixed up family that Jesus is creating. This is why, by the way, uh, uh, community groups are the heartbeat of sitting on a hill. I know if you're new, you just got here, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Um, I, I would encourage you, sign up for a community group. Go visit a community group. You don't have to keep coming. If you don't like it, but, but go visit. Because I think community groups are the cake and this is the icing on the cake. So don't just eat the icing and like, I didn't really like the cake. Um, go, go deep, go experience. And if you can't find a community group at City on the Hill, go to a church where you can be in one. Because that's where the one and others in the New Testament practice. That's where the love is practiced. That's where people care for each other on a deep level. And that, I, I would argue, is if City on a Hill has any real like strength, 
uh, that withstood COVID, it was our community groups. The way people walked with each other, cared for each other during that, while we couldn't gather on Sundays, just reminded me, it was hard. It was awful, right? Wouldn't want to go through it again for anything. But there was a beauty in the way people cared for each other, even on Zoom, <laughs> right? So community groups. And that's why uh, the, the light of the city is a community together, not an individual. Um, the city, finally, the city's light is for others. Jesus says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. No, that's not the purpose of the city on the hill. This, the purpose of the city on the hill and the light that's there is to shine for all to see, right? You can no more hide the light of, uh, 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 of the world than a giant city on a hill can hide its light at night. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all, who, all in the house. The purpose of the light is not simply for the one, for you individually, if you're a Christian, to experience light. Yes, that's good. But the light Christ has put in you is meant to be connected to the other lights of Jesus' people, and you're supposed to shine the light together for those outside the church. Listen, the light we have is for others. It isn't for our comfort. It's not even for our community. It's for others. And to avoid any confusion, Jesus makes it super clear. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It can be argued that this entire passage is actually about mission. It's about the purpose of the church following Jesus together shining a light to, into the dark world that others might see and know and come to follow Jesus. This is why he came in the first place, right? Jesus, Jesus, the, the, the mission, the call to spread the light or to share the light of Christ doesn't terminate on us because Jesus came for us. Therefore, we are sent to others to take that same light there are people in your apartment building. There are people in your neighborhood. There are people in your workplace or in your program or in your school that need the light of Christ. And God has put you there as a, as a, as a representative of that. This is one of the reasons why I, I, I argue that the real strength of, of mission should not be us individually simply going out. Yes, we go out, invite people. But if you could get people, the, the community, the community group you have is actually, I think, the real place where, where the opportunity is. If you can get people around peep other followers, your spiritual family, this is what happened in the New Testament. People come and kind of hang out with Christians, with the church, and they begin to see the light, and then they begin to believe the light and experience it for themselves. It's super important to note that here, and I want to remind us of this, we don't impact the light bulb does not impact the community because it's somehow better than than others right we don't shine the light because we are better people the truth is you are all train wrecks right you know it <laughs> you know you got your junk even here today so how crazy is that 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 takes like a major burden off our back that you're not the most talented the smartest most gifted most outspoken most whatever person in the room but you get to be a part of this because the light bulb's power does not come from the light bulb. It comes from the power source. And for you, being connected with Christ is how you share that light. 
2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 6 is just a great reminder. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. So we're not out there like, hey guys, we're awesome. You should really want to get in on that. But Jesus Christ as Lord, that's what we're pointing to. With ourselves as your servants. So we serve others for the sake of Christ. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ, glory of God in the face of Christ. So will you be a part of it? This is the question. Personally, today, some of you have never actually experienced this light yourself. You, you've never actually had the light of Christ shine in your heart. His love for you is greater than you could comprehend right now in this moment. And if he's shining that light in your heart to see that right now, he's inviting you in. You might be thinking like I did when I became a Christian. I was like, well, I got this thing over here and this thing over here I got to work on. And he's like, I know. Why don't you, why don't you lay those things down and come on in? I'll help you. You don't, you don't clean yourself up to take a shower, do you? You might clean yourself up before you take a shower. It's kind of defeats the purpose. Jesus brings you into the light so he can do his work in you. So bring it all. Even that thing, yes, even that thing that you're most ashamed of, most afraid of, most burdened by, bring that thing with you into the light by faith today. If you're a Christian, you need to be walking in the light. You need to be drawing uh, closer to the light. Your life needs to be saturated with Jesus. Is it any wonder that the greatest effort of the enemy is to draw you away from uh, taking personal time with the Lord in prayer and in his word? I mean, I, there are few things in my life as a Christian that feel more attacked than that. And is it any wonder if he can, if he can pull you back from the power source, your light's not going to shine very bright doesn't go out, but it's not very bright. But the truth is, even at our best, the light's not that strong. So we need our crew. You need your community group. You need people that are walking with you because the light is brighter together. You know, you guys know the, the uh, secret of like Christmas lights, right? The, the little Christmas light bulb, I was going to bring one up here, but it's so small, I, I could barely see it from here, so I wouldn't do that. But, but you know, the Christmas light bulb is like two watts or something like that. Plug that thing in, it's not doing a lot. But if you've ever taken a whole strand of light bulbs and had them in a ball and then plugged them in, what happens? There's a lot more light. Throw that into a dark room and it's even more impactful, isn't it? Your community group is like that strand of lights and you better stay connected to it because that's how you're meant to be light. Not just off by yourself. It's hard enough to go to, you gotta go to work by yourself. Can't bring your community group with you, right? <laughs> you gotta go to your, your program by yourself. You can't bring your community group with you. So you better be stay plugged into that community group. And together, as a community, we spread the gospel. And I want to remind us as we close, I've just been reflecting on this a lot. Uh, if you are new to Co, I turned 50 earlier this year. And just thinking about my life, and even just this week as we're reflecting on the history of Coa, 12 years planting, um, that, that life is amazingly short amazingly short. And no one in this room, I think, probably knows that more than me because while I was starting the church, while we were meeting on Sunday nights in a synagogue nearby uh, and, and our core team was meeting uh, in October of 2009, 
I went to sleep feeling healthy, feeling normal like many of you will tonight, and I had a cardiac arrest about an hour after I went into sleep. My heart went into some crazy rhythm and then just said, we're done. Fortunately, my wife woke up, and she, uh, she got me, and my kids got me on the floor, and she gave me CPR for somewhere around eight minutes. And then a Newton police officer came in, hit me with a defibrillator, and then an EMT came in and hit me again, got my heart started back up. They put me in a medical coma uh, at Tufts Medical Center for two and a half days uh, and seven more days testing everything. And I remember, uh, I remember waking up. I do not remember the event. I remember waking up. Um, by God's grace, I tell people that, that, you know, somewhere around six minutes, brain damage is supposed to happen, and I went eight, um, but by God's grace, I don't have any more brain damage than I had before, um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that, um, and amazingly, I don't have any actual effects from the whole thing. The only thing I do is carry a, a, a defibrillator right there in my chest, um, and it's there just in case it ever happens again. But I'm sitting there in the hospital and the doctor looked at me and said, healthy 37 year olds don't have sudden cardiac arrest. Something's wrong with you. And we're gonna run tests, we're gonna figure this out. And I just remember, I just remember a peace coming over me that God said, I got you, I got you. Not like I got you, like everything's gonna be great, but I got you like no matter what happens. So, you know, you think a little bit while you're in the hospital, after you've had a cardiac arrest, you've got some time to consider and reflect. And, and while it was actually an incredibly peaceful and joyful time, the thing that kept coming to my mind is, am I using my life for something that matters? And the beauty of it is, yes, I had a piece about that. And if I had stayed where I was in Kentucky, and there's no doubt about this, my wife knows this. If we had stayed, I moved there 11, and it happened 11 months after we moved. If I was living where I lived in Kentucky, I would be dead. There's no way an EMT would have gotten there fast enough. And God brought me here, wanted to humble me <laughs> early on and go, I don't need you to get this done, right? But I'm going to let you be a part of this. And so God is inviting you in. Your life is, gonna, is, is shorter than you think. The dreams you have for work and family, and those are great and wonderful. Make sure all of those things are a part of being the light of Christ in this world. This is what you're invited to, into. As a Christian, this is what your inheritance is here on earth, is to be a part of the family of God. And I want to invite you today and remind you that God is at work. I know it can feel overwhelming here in this city. The church is not big, not, not just our church, but not very many churches are large. Not many churches are making inroads and really impacting the communities. But we're gonna take what Christ has called us to do in this neighborhood, this town, and we're going to love Jesus, love each other, follow him and see what God does. I hope to another 20 years uh, or more, by God's grace to, to pastor. I hope to retire and then hang around and aggravate the new pastor. Um, <laughs> But I, I read yesterday, and I just want to encourage you with this. If you're doubting, if you're struggling, like, I don't know if God can do what God can do. I got an update from a pastor in the Middle East this week. And he's talking about what's happening in Afghanistan in the last year alone, despite incredible persecution, poverty, and suffering, 5,000 new uh, believers have joined the kingdom of God. They're being persecuted, they're suffering, and yet the light of the gospel is going forth there. I think the only thing that keeps us from living like that is the, the shiny city we live in.
the shiny things we own. Let's not let those things distract us from this call and remind ourselves that the power of the gospel can change lives. It changed us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. As you bow your heads and don't know where you are today with the Lord, with the light of Christ, but wherever you are, I invite you to step into that light. I invite you to step into the embrace that Christ is inviting you into. Lay down your burdens, lay down your your sorrows, lay down the sin and shame and guilt and all of those things. And experience it for the first time or experience it again, anew and afresh. Jesus, we thank you that you did not sit up in heaven where it was comfortable, where you were experiencing perfect union with the Father and the Spirit, but you humbled yourself taking on the form of a man. You lived among us. You experienced life among us. And then you humbly gave your life on the cross in our place to cleanse us, to make us new, that we might walk in the light and live in the light, not just today, but every day forever. I pray that that would be more real to us right now, maybe than it's ever been. And for those that have never experienced it, I pray right now it's new. That their heart would see and experience your grace, your love, your mercy for them. In your name.